0: So, how do you respond when you're attacked? When people insult you in different ways, when you want to push people back because the sting and the hurt is so bad. How about when people make jokes about you? How many of you have ever had someone make a joke about you? I'm bald, therefore, lots of people make jokes about me. I've heard them all. If I had a nickel for every joke, every bald joke I've had, I'd be rich. I had a Bitcoin for every bald joke I had, I'd be poor.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I recently heard this joke, um, what happens to bald sinners? They have hell to pay. See, all bald, bad, bald jokes are bad. Some of you are just now catching that joke. It's actually pretty clever. But how do we respond when, when those words really do hurt? Because there's pain, right? Right? There's physical pain that we've all had, but then there's a whole nother category of pain that, that can last longer, that goes deeper, and that is relational pain. It, man, we can have strangers say something about us, and they can be an enemy from a distance, but when someone that we've trusted, that we've loved betray us, lets us down, when when that person, when that person hurts us, it goes deeper. Why? Because, because grief is always proportional to intimacy. Grief is proportional to intimacy. So how are we going to respond to the sarcasm, to the silent treatments, to the insults? We're living in a time where hate has escalated, right? Like there's so many hostile opinions as it relates to health, religion, race, politics. And and you are conditioned to, to hate people who disbelieve or disagree with how you believe. And Jesus says there's another way. He says there's another way that we can respond to the people that hate you. What is that response? That response, if done the Lord's way, is the biggest differential between being a follower of Jesus and a follower of the world. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter five. I am so glad that you are here in person, or maybe you're still joining us online. We are in a series following the Gospel of Matthew. This one's called Up on the Mountain. The the king has arrived. Jesus has gone public with his ministry, and the crowds are gathering. Who are in the crowds? It's the poor, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the oppressed. It was was the the Jews who were not just oppressed by the Romans— but it was Jews, it was the lower class that was despised by other Jews. And so imagine being with Jesus up on that mountain as he gives the manifesto to the kingdom to bless those who are poor, those who are meek, those who are merciful, saying, I want you by, by your character and by your actions to be a salt in this world to where it's bland, bland. to be a bright light in this world where it is dark, Why? So they will, the world will give glory to a God in heaven. It's important. Jesus shares there's another way. When you're tempted to get defensive and put walls up to those who hate you, to your enemies, to push back, to take revenge, Jesus says there is another way. Let's read in Matthew chapter five, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Some would say, ah, these words are never in the Bible. They're not in the Old Testament. Jesus never said them before in the gospel. And so people could be critical that Jesus really is not the Messiah because he's saying something that's not true. However, in 1947, in a cave in Israel, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And on this scroll, a group of Jews known as the Essenes that wrote a philosophical statement that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies, it is very likely that these Essenes would have been on the mountain that day. Because they would have taken hate to elevate it to a duty, to a a fine art. In a culture where you take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that was what was expected. When someone pushes you, you push them back. And so Jesus is, he's, he's sharing a different way. What would that way be? It says in verse 44, I say to you to love your who? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love Those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect or separate or holy just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Father, we thank you for this sacred text. We thank you for these words that penetrate our heart. Lord, maybe these are words that we've read before, but we've not studied, we've not memorized. Maybe we've been more tempted to take scissors out than apply them to our lives. Help us today, Holy Spirit, to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, that we may be set free and be healthy in our mind and our soul, but that others could see your glory in Jesus' name. These words would have been very difficult to hear if you were a first century Jew. But why are these words so important? Jesus cares about your soul. He cared about the souls of of the poor and those who were being oppressed. What if Jesus knew that hate always escalates? And so an uncontrolled thought becomes a word that stings, that leads to a sword that cuts, that 2,000 years later can lead to rockets that destroy. Jesus is sharing this, this provocative message, this, this way of loving. Like his, his disciples would have understood, every Jew would have understood the great Shema, the central prayer. They would have prayed it daily that is to love the Lord your God. With all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And Jesus, when asked what was the greatest commandment, he echoed this in Deuteronomy 4. And he said to love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's introducing something that is even more inclusive, more supreme, and that is to love your enemy. Love your enemy. Not just love them. Bless them. Pray for them. Do good to them. How can this be practical when we're tempted to to stand up for our rights and be defensive and attack back, there's another way. What is that way? We're gonna discover from God's word because Jesus identifies who the enemy is and he makes this incredibly pra- practical. And so I want us to look at the word love because he says to love our enemies, right? So it all hinges on love. And let's today, I wanna give you four ways based on the word love as being an acronym of how to apply this to your life, how to la- practically love your enemies. First, you must understand L is that love is a choice. It is a decision. It's not just an emotion or a feeling because if we're just gonna love someone when we feel like it, that may never happen. Sometimes it's by faith we have to just say, okay, God, I'm going to choose this because your word says it. And as a follower of you and to be a part of this kingdom, as your son, as your daughter, then I need to apply this and do what's right. And so it's understanding that love is is a choice. What does love mean? It unselfishly chooses the highest good for someone else. And so what is the highest good for your enemy? Choose that. Choose that. But love is a choice. How did Jesus love his enemies? Do we ever see him ever in the gospels, attacking back, taking revenge, even when he was arrested, even when he hung on the cross? What was his attitude? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved his enemies. He chose to love them. Alexander McLaren said, the sum of religion is to imitate the God whom we worship. Jesus knows if we choose love, then we're never going to envy our enemy. We're never going to want to have words that would tear down our enemy if we really love them. So first, we've got to choose love. The O in love. It's understanding that there really is only one enemy. Only one enemy. We don't have a lot of enemies out there. We may think they are, but really there's only one enemy. And that one enemy is not that person. I want you to understand that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If every person was created in the image of God, if every soul has intrinsic value, Every soul is for whom Christ has died. Can we see that value in that person? They're not the real enemy. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, who the real enemy is. says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. First Peter 5, 8 says, our adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we don't fight here with words and, and statements and feelings in the flesh, but rather, we have a spiritual fight because we have a spiritual enemy, and that is the devil. Ephesians 6:12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, first, love is a choice. Second, there's only one real enemy. And the V is to vindicate yourself by making no defense. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, verse 38 and 39? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other him also. So what cheek did he say specifically? The right cheek, not just any cheek. He says the right cheek. And in America, when you are, struck, how do most people in America respond? Strike back, right? Strike hard, strike fast, no mercy. That's how we are expected to, to respond. And Jesus is saying, turn your other cheek. If you're, if you're, if you're slapped, this is very important that we catch this. He says to be slapped on the, if you're slapped on the right cheek. How can you possibly be slapped on the right cheek? Only if someone would backhand you. Remember his audience, slaves, poor, oppressed. And so it would have been very demeaning to receive a slap on your right cheek. Jesus is saying, don't attack back an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Turn the other cheek. In other words, in a way that's not attacking back, you're not a doormat either, but you're showing the injustice that is happening. He shares this to be true, because even in the Old Testament, we know that David had enemies, right? Who were David's enemies? Who comes to your mind when you think of David having enemies? Think of Saul. Who else? Goliath. Anyone else? His own sons, right? We may first think of Goliath. That was an enemy. But wow, Saul. Saul was his his father-in-law. Saul was his boss out to try to kill him. David had to run for his life because Saul was so jealous of him. And when David would ask for God to deliver him. There was a time where David and his men were hiding in a cave. Do you remember this story? And and Saul, he had to relieve himself, take a little potty break, and he goes into this cave. Do you remember what David's men said to him? He said, take him, take his life, and you will have the crown. What was David's response? He said, I'm not gonna touch the anointed one. David chose that day not to kill Saul in that cave. What if God was preparing him? What if this was a test to even greater hurt down the road? For David's own son, Absalom, would betray him and hurt him. What was David's response? In Psalm 3, one through three, it says, many are they who rise up against me. It says, Lord, how they've increased who have troubled me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a what? a shield around me. David didn't have to defend himself because he knew God was a shield. And so when you are being attacked or when you will be attacked, know that God can be your shield. Allow God to be your defense. So when you're struck on the right face, he says to turn the other cheek. And then he says in in scripture, in verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you, and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. He says, if someone is, if your enemy is so desperate to try to humiliate you that they're gonna take you to court over your clothes, like you understand in the first century, you would have an outer garment and an inner garment. And if someone's gonna take you to court over your outer garment, you know what Jesus says? He says, give them your inner garment as well. Show the injustice. Don't fight back. It's like, stand there, give them your underwear. Stand there, and, the, and here's my fruit of the looms, and show them the injustice in a different way. This is what God's referring to on how to address an enemy. And then he says in verse 41, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And for him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Roman law allowed for any soldier at any moment to have one person carry his armor to carry his pack for one mile. After that, they were free to go. So Jesus is saying, when your enemy who's oppressed you, who has killed your friends, your family members, when they ask you to carry their pack one mile, keep walking, go another mile. Imagine the awkward moment For that Roman soldier, when he's expecting to get his pack back and you just keep on going with a good attitude, something's going to be different. This is the great differential between us who belong to the family of God and those who are in the world. Jesus says, it's easy. Everybody can love your own friends, your family, people who you get along with, people who are in your small group. But how are you going to respond to people who attack you, insult you, persecute you, your enemies? Jesus says, there is another way. What about your enemies that were friends? What about people who you disagree with over theological issues, over spiritual things, when it's easy to allow pride to come up and we don't yield, but rather we fight because we want to be right and it becomes a disagreement and it's a conflict, whether it be online or what kind of witness is that to other people? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.23, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife and be a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Jesus says there's another way. He says, by your unity, by your love for each other, they are going to know that you are my disciples. So be unified. Don't fight. Major on the majors, minor on the minors. The enemy's number one mission is to bring division in this church family, in your small groups, in your marriage, to turn the hearts of your children to your hearts and against your hearts to your children. That's, what the will of the enemy is. And Jesus says, "That road will lead to destruction. There's a different way. There's a different path to love your enemies. So first, L is what? Love is a choice. O is only one enemy. V. We vindicate ourselves by having no defense, and then E, perhaps the most challenging, how are we going to respond to our enemies? Expressed forgiveness. Just as love is a choice, forgiveness is a choice. It's not based on an offense. It's not based on an apology. It's not based on the degree of offense. It's based upon Jesus's forgiveness of you. How many of you have been forgiven much? And so we are to forgive others. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is, is holding back what you deserve. What did we deserve because of our sins? But yet the Lord was so merciful that Jesus received the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserved on the cross. And we are to express that forgiveness to others. Why? So bitterness does not take root in our hearts over the offense and hurt. Jesus is recorded of saying in Luke chapter 6, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners Lend to sinners to receive as much back, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. For if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will reap heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm concerned that some of you are tired and you're restless because of the emotional trauma over the replaying of offenses that has happened in your heart and your life. And it's worn you out. It's made you jaded. And it's made your heart harden. Jesus is saying there is another way. And that comes through choosing love choosing forgiveness. I love the story of Corey ten Boone. She was a Dutch Christian that allowed her home to be a safe haven for Jews that were running from, from the Germans back in the 40s. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. I strongly recommend that you read that book. She was caught for hiding Jews in her house, and she was arrested and punished in a concentration camp. She went through just a lot of trauma from her enemies, but she chose forgiveness. She chose another way and that is love. And God redeemed her story, not just as an author, but she went all over the world spreading the good news of Jesus. She said, you never so touch the ocean of God's love as when you forgive and love your enemies. Once she went to Africa and she went into a small village and there she preached the gospel and she met a man named Thomas who had bandages on his hands and his arms and she asked him for his story. And Thomas said, last week, my neighbor uh, set fire to my hut. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he hated me and he hated God. And I love the Lord and love my neighbors and so he tried to destroy my house one night at midnight, after setting fire to my, my hut, I went outside and I was able to, to put the fire out and save my young children that were in the hut. The next day came around, the evening happened, and the, the same neighbor came over to his house and set fire to it again. Thomas's response, he went outside and he was able to put the fire out again. He never once said anything negative about his neighbor to anyone else. Third night, it happened again. He came to set fire to his house, putting his Thomas and his children in danger. Once again, Thomas went out and, de- and extinguished the fire. It happened the fourth night in a row, except this time when Thomas was out trying to put out the fire, a strong wind blew and, and a spark went to the neighbor's house and the neighbor's house caught on fire. But Thomas quickly went over and helped put out that fire, resulting in him getting badly burned in his arms, and his hands. Other people in the village saw what had happened and and reported it to the chief of the village who was so upset that he had this man put in a prison. And so when Corey Tim Boone came and, and had this evangelistic service and she heard the story, she said, well, Thomas, it's good that he has been put into prison. Now your house is safe and your children are no longer in danger. You know what Thomas's response was? He said, yes, that is true. But my heart aches for my neighbor. There was so much potential. He has so many good gifts, and now he's in prison with other criminals. So Corey Tim Boone said, Well, let's pray for him. She's recording her book, is saying, I'll never forget seeing Thomas drop to his knees and raising up his, his burned hands and his arms as he prayed. For his neighbor, he said, Lord, I claim this neighbor of mine for you. Lord, give him his freedom and do do the miracle that in the future he and I will become a team to bring the gospel in our tribe. Amen. Corey Tinbone had never heard a prayer like this. Two days later, she was allowed to go to that prison and preach the gospel. And at the end of the message and her sharing her story, she gave an opportunity for people to surrender their lives to Jesus. Guess who the first person to the front was? That neighbor. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. Corey Tim Boone shared the story of Thomas and his response and how he'd been praying. And he told, she told him what Thomas prayed. And he said, yes, let it be so. When I get out, we are gonna partner together to spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus to others. Only God can do the the possible where it seems impossible. Only God, you may think, you don't understand my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what someone's done to me. There's no chance for forgiveness. There's no chance for reconciliation. I'm gonna tell you, if you humble yourself, If you choose love, if you choose forgiveness, God can do the impossible. He can redeem out of the most broken. He can redeem where there was once strife and anger and hate. I speak out of experience. There's a lot of stories that I love to share because it it shows the successes. Oftentimes we don't share our failures, but, but it's in our failures that we relate to each other. Several years ago, as a pastor in our community, I've made mistakes. I have made mistakes. But there's one mistake where I'll, I won't forget because it was probably the only time I really lost control. I was angry. And uh, I, I had some resentment in, heart, in my heart to Helotus' number one enemy of mine. Watch this story. Several years ago, I was riding my bike a lot, and there was one street here in Holota, called Whipple Wheel, where um, a couple of dogs from a house would chase me a lot. And I knew I was gonna introduce my daughter, Emma, to, to ride with me, and, and so I went to the, this, the owner of this house and asked him if he could keep his dogs you know, locked up. And so the next day, uh, Emma and I go riding our bike down Whipple Wheel, and, and here are those dogs come and they got messed up in the front of her tire. She endos, um, crashes, she's bleeding. I get her to the side of the road and there's my baby girl just bleeding. And I was po I was upset. Um, I wanted to do one thing and that was make the guy pay who caused my little girl to bleed on the side of the road. So <laughs> there I was in, in spandex hobbling in my cycling shoes to the front of this house, pounding on the door and there, uh, This guy comes out.
1: I'm yelling at him to get off my property, and he's going on and on and on. So I'm I'm like telling him, hey, man, this is Texas, man. That's a good way to get shot. You just come down somebody's driveway and you start yelling at them. I get a notice on the door from the sheriff. I call the sheriff, and they immediately, they ask for the case number, and I give it to them. And they ask me, are you John Van Pay? right? So in my mind, I'm like, "Okay, I'll write that name down. So I wrote that name down. First thing I do, I get on the computer, and I Google John Van Pay. There was a lot on him on the internet, right? He's a pastor of a church that I had attended one time before at uh, Silverado Theater. So in that period of our life
0: was extremely rough. We were going through a lot and we ended up in that time actually separating and when we finally decided to come back together, we decided to join a small group.
1: They invited us to go to Gateway and Rick kept saying no
0: (laughs) because (laughs) he's like, I know the pastor and I'm pretty sure the pastor knows me.
1: (laughs) You know, if any of y'all know John Van Pay, he's always greeting everybody, right? And thanking them for coming in. And so I see him at the doorway. I'm like trying to make my way somewhere else, but my wife's holding my hand. She's like leading me in that direction. I don't know how he's gonna react. I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, But I get there, he shakes my hand. He says, thank you for coming in, nice to meet you, and um, we make it out, right? We make it out of there alive, pretty much. And we're just growing deeper and deeper and deeper with this church, and it just, it felt right, it felt like family. So then I end up becoming part of the safety team as well uh, to protect the one guy that I didn't like, right? Then we go through H300, we go to you know, we become small group leaders, and we're just, you know, really rooted in Gateway. You know, I'm just, every all this emotion's going through me. And I turn to my wife and I'm like, you know what? You know, I feel like we're living a lie, right? I feel like we're living a lie. I go up to John and I'm like, John, let's can I talk to you outside for a bit. Do you remember a time when you're riding your bike with your daughter and my, and my dog gets out? I'm sure
0: my jaw hit the floor. And so the flood of emotion that came back, how ashamed I was and how I lost control and never made things right. And, but it's Rick and it's April who, <laughs> during this time, I, had, I didn't make the connection that they were the ones. And I, I grew to love them and saw them so faithful and an important part of our church family. The power of the redemption of God to be able to take a very difficult conflict and to see forgiveness, reconciliation for His glory, for His ministry purposes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I love y'all, and I'm really thankful for you, man. (laughs) With man, it's impossible, but with God, it is possible. By faith, if we will humble ourselves, we'd allow God to do the miracles. He wants to do the miracles. He wants you to be set free. He doesn't want your heart to be hardened. He doesn't want your soul to be destroyed you bow your heads. Father, as we are in your presence, we thank you for showing us a different way. Thank you for modeling us a different way. Help us to choose to be not just hearers of your word, but to obey, to follow you. With heads still bowed, as we wait upon the Lord, as we just spend time in his presence. My heart, my desire, I've been praying for you all week long, and that the Lord would set you free and would soften your heart and prepare you for this very moment. Holy Spirit, would you reveal, as uncomfortable as this is, as painful as this is, would you reveal enemies? names. We may bristle. We may try to push it deep inside of ourselves or suppress it or try to think about other things, but I pray that this holy moment, Lord, that you willed for happen. Help us to be humble. Help us to be dependent upon you. Help us to have grace to forgive As we prepare to pray, I'm going to ask you, based on the forgiveness that Jesus has given you, for you to forgive your enemy, to release them, to pray for them, to bless them. And as you do, there's going to be a supernatural moment that happens in your heart. There's going to be a shift, a change growth is going to be able to happen. The Lord's going to be able to use you. For for many, the, the, the enemy has kept you into chains and in bondage because of hurt you've received or abuse or pain. And so now would you pray? Would you surrender it to the Lord? Would you just say that name out loud? And just say, I forgive them. I release them to you. Jesus, as we do that as friends and family, Lord, we come to you right now And we choose by faith to forgive, by faith to love, by faith to pray and bless our enemies. Lord, we forgive them. Even if they've never apologized, we forgive them. We surrender and release them. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that as we pray these prayers, that Lord, that you would be glorified that there would be a powerful work of healing at work in our souls, our minds, our bodies, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Help us, Lord. With heads still bowed, if you're here today, you'd realize that the enemy in the room is you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, 10, 10 that while we were sinners, that we were, that we were enemies at God because of the work on the cross. That Jesus would forgive you, that he would reconcile that fractured relationship, that he loves you that much, that he forgives you of your sin. He's done his part. Would you now surrender your life to Jesus? Would you receive the gift of salvation and love? He wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He no longer wants you to be an enemy. He wants you to be a friend, a child, a daughter of the king, And if you will confess your sin, repent of your sin and turn from God, then you will be saved. Your life can be changed. I'm going to count to three. And if you would say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to walk after him all the days of my life. I no longer want to be an enemy with God. I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. One, two, don't hesitate. Three, you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Will you raise your hand right now in this room? Praise God. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. We have friends that are gonna be moving to those of you who have raised your hand, maybe raise it again. We wanna pray for you. We've got small group leaders that wanna come alongside of you. And so as we come before the Lord with the faith of a child, confess that Jesus is the son of the living God. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart and you would be saved. So bow your head and let's just pray. Say his name out loud. Say, Jesus Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I put my trust, my faith in you, that you are alive. From this moment on, I no longer want to be an enemy. I want to follow after you. Jesus, you're my savior and you're my king. I will obey everything you ask of me. May you increase that I may decrease. Father, I thank you for saving our friends right now. We rejoice with all heaven and what's happening supernaturally in the spirit. God, I pray that you would deliver them from unforgiveness, from bitterness, that you would set them free in their minds and their hearts by the power of your word and the mighty name of Jesus. Let's set them free. Let them walk in forgiveness and love. Change their identity. Let them be a son and daughter of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can we rejoice with those who have made this decision to follow the Lord?